1: And this problem has been hiding in plain sight for years. It was nearly 20 years ago that the NFL, under the threat of litigation, this very litigation, not this one specifically, but this type of litigation, created the Rooney Rule. To avoid the litigation, they knew they had a problem. The hiring practices, the raw numbers, are so stark that the only reasonable conclusion is there's some sort of bias baked into the process. Not that you've got a bunch of Archie Bunkers sitting around in their their easy chairs spouting off racist nonsense. There's just at some level a preference, at some level a bias, at some level an inclination to hire a white coach. As I said when Brian Flores sued, if you flip a coin 500 times and it comes up heads 490 times, there's a problem with the coin. Now, everything else is details. And there will be plenty of details. Well, we got some details today, and we got plenty to talk about over the course of the next hour. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, the show is PFTPM. Originally, the amended complaint to Brian Flores litigation was expected for Friday, April 8. It was filed today. Two new plaintiffs, two new teams, actually, three new teams, because Brian Flores has added another team to his claims, and we're going to break it down. And, Shereen, it doesn't feel as monumental as the first filing, but we've now taken one minority coach who has done what I think the NFL believed would never be done, yeah. and we've tripled that number. And I can't help but wonder whether or not others, as more and more join the cause, will decide there is both strength and safety in numbers and decide as we learn more about this, as we hear more about this, as we get more comfortable with this reality, to join in the fight?
2: I think at this point, Mike, you're going to be more surprised if more black coaches don't join this suit than if they do. I mean, I would expect many more to join it, because you're right, there is a safety number. You look at a guy like David Culley, who lasted one year with Houston, and the Texans are now on this complaint. Maybe he decides to join this suit. That makes sense. But... I'm with you. I, I think there's going to be more to join this suit. It doesn't seem as monumental. I mean, we knew it was coming because you had reported that previously. But the first lawsuit, Mike, that's when it really hit the fan. And now it's just more and more and more and more things are coming out. And the light is now shining on this huge problem for the NFL.
1: Let's start with, because there's two new plaintiffs, Steve Wilkes, who was the Arizona Cardinals coach for one year and then Ray Horton, who was a candidate to be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans in 2016. The job went to Mike Malarkey. Let's start with that one, and a question that some may have. How can Ray Horton wait six years to file this lawsuit? How can the statute of limitations have not run? I think the argument will be that Horton didn't become aware and didn't believe that his interview was a sham, didn't believe that the determination that they would hire Mike Malarkey was pre-made until he heard Mike Malarkey. And what I think is an incredibly jarring, honest, courageous comment, Mike Malarkey appearing on a podcast September of 2020, the Steelers Realm podcast, Malarkey, a former player i believe and definitely coach with the steelers asked a very open-ended question gave a very specific answer here it is
0: well mike if you could turn back the clock where would uh yeah, i probably hate these questions but would there be anything during your coaching career that you might have done differently or changed
3: uh, that's a good question um i'll, I'll tell you guys this uh, i've always prided myself in doing the right thing um in this business and i can't say this true about everybody in this business. It's a it's a, it's a it's a very cutthroat business, and a lot of guys will tell you that. But I, I allowed myself uh, at one point when I was in Tennessee uh, to get caught up in something I, I regret. I still regret it. But uh, the ownership there, uh, Amy Adams Strunk and her family came in and, and told me I was going to be the head coach in 2016 uh, before they went through the, the Rooney Rule. And so I sat there knowing I was the head coach in 16 as they went through this fake hiring process, knowing uh, knowing a lot of the coaches that they were interviewing, knowing how much they prepared to go through those interviews, knowing that that everything they could do and they had no chance of getting that job. And actually the GM, John Robinson, he was in on the interview with me. He's, he had no idea why he's interviewing me, that I have the job already. And I feel, I, you know, I regret that's because I pride myself in my, my kids first that they do the right thing. And I always said that to the players, and here I am the head guy not doing it. And I've regretted that since then. It was the wrong thing to do. I, I'm sorry I did that, um, but it was not the way to go about it. should have interviewed like everybody else and got hired because of the interview, not not early on. So that's that's probably my biggest regret. Predictably,
1: the Titans have denied that it was a sham interview process, but Malarkey's remarks, because when I first saw his quote, I thought, And just assumed incorrectly, as I often do, that there was a specific conversation that drew this out of Malarkey, not just a very general, hey, do you have any regrets? And off he went. But to me, that was incredibly striking. And it does open the door for a real conversation about whether or not the Titans did know that they were hiring Mike Malarkey before they engaged in the other interviews. They just checked the boxes. And as I said earlier today on Twitter, how many other coaches over the past 20 years if they were being honest if they dared to tell the truth would tell the same story mike malarkey told shereen
2: well and and that's the thing mike this does feel something like a smoking gun but it was obvious when they're asking him this question and he gets done telling the story they actually had no idea what he had just said like how newsworthy that was because they said that's a touching story and we appreciate you sharing that and then they went on to something else and i just checked a few minutes ago it's got 2355 views so for two years we never heard anything about this mike malarkey interview it was kind of buried and now it's come to light and i don't know how they found it but maybe they just did some search and it came up but it obviously to me mike and you know better than i do because because you're the attorney But it does feel like something of a smoking gun. The four candidates they interviewed that year were Terrell Austin, Doug Marone, Ray Horton, and Mike Malarkey. And obviously Malarkey had the job before the other candidates interviewed. So they were sham interviews. I mean, they they have what shows that it was a sham interview, which if you go back in history, you called it a sham interview at the time. Now we have evidence that it certainly was a sham interview.
1: And this is where it gets a little bit complicated, because if I had to throw a dart and guess on how the lawyer representing the three plaintiffs now in this case became aware of the malarkey comments, if I had to just make a wild guess, I would say that malarkey made someone aware of it. Yeah. Because when you listen to how earnest he was in his explanation, he wanted to make this right. So once the Brian Flores lawsuit is filed... Here's an opportunity to make it right. Here's a mechanism to make it right. Here's a way to go right to the lawyers and say, hey, look, you guys are talking about sham interviews. You you haven't even heard the half of it. I can tell you about a sham interview because I was involved in it and I knew about it. And here you go. And then Ray Horton, who, when we look back at the stories from the time, and Shereen, i got to give you credit. you got a better memory than me. I didn't even think of this. (laughs) At the time, there were stories that Ray Horton was insulted. He denied it. He left the Titans for the Browns in 2016 because he thought he wasn't given a fair consideration to become the head coach. He had been a member of the coaching staff there. And here's the headline, January 18, 2016, the headline, Titans owner knew during search that Malarkey was the guy. Steve Underwood, the former president of the organization with still one of the all-time great mustaches, Somewhere during that process, I think it coalesced for Amy, and she had made the decision she already knew Mike. She had a comfort level with Mike, but she wanted to reach out and look around to make sure there was not any other viable candidates for her in terms of our club and where we were going. They didn't interview many people, as you mentioned. It was Tara Lawson, Doug Marone, and Ray Horton. But the the whole purpose of the Rooney rule has been to encourage owners not to make decisions before they engage in interviews to not rely upon a comfort level. The comfort level is what's problematic when the white owner is inherently comfortable with the white coach. That's one of the reasons why we have this problem in the NFL. So this cuts both ways for Ray Horton though, because to the extent that Ray Horton is going to say, I didn't know this was a sham interview until after Mike Malarkey said what he said in September of 2020, the response to the Titans is going to be, and this is delicate for them, this cuts both ways for them. Well, no, you should have known it was a sham back in 2016, even though it wasn't. You should have known it was a sham back then. But we're not saying that it was. But you should have known that it was a sham, and that's when the two-year window started to transpire. And I'm telling you, I've lived that life. I guarantee you that argument is going to be made by the NFL as it relates to the claims made by Ray Horton. He knew or should have known he was on notice that he had a potential claim for race discrimination as of January 16 when this comment was made public by Steve Underwood
2: well and John Wooten who was chairman of the Fritz Pollard Alliance at the time came out and said it's a sham interview and that Horton felt insulted and disrespected and and that's where it came out and then Horton denied in 2016 that he was insulted by this so yeah, Mike, there, there is that to go back on. But you're right, the Titans have to walk delicately here because I think between the Steve Underwood quote and now the Mike Malarkey quote that we've seen, it was obvious that they had made their decision before they ever talked to Ray Horton. And frankly, you look at the Titans' history of hiring black coaches, period, period. It's not very good. No black head coaches since they arrived in Tennessee. Ray Horton and Jerry Gray are the only black defensive coordinators. They had Cherry uh, Rabisky, who was a black offensive coordinator, and Norm Chow, of course, is Asian, who was their offensive coordinator. So they don't have a very good history of hiring black head coaches or black coaches as coordinators as it is, Mike. And now they're going to have to defend this lawsuit.
1: Yeah, and most teams don't, though. That's the problem.
2: No, Two teams can boast having problem. a
1: great history when it comes to hiring black coaches or, more importantly, black offensive coordinators because that is the real pipeline to the head coaching jobs in the NFL. ESPN reached out to Mark Malarkey for more. He said, I believe you have the truth and what you need. That is a pretty strong comment there. Yeah. So we'll see how that part of it plays out. But that's just one piece of it. That's the Ray Horton angle. And Ray Horton hasn't coached in the NFL since 2019 when he worked – with the Washington Commanders, as they're currently known. Steve Wilkes, in 2018, was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He was the successor to Bruce Arians. He got one year with the Cardinals. It was not a good year. And there are some damning allegations made there, some things that should spark a full-blown investigation by the NFL on one specific point we'll talk about in a second. But Wilkes is arguing that, He is the classic short-term, they know it going in, this guy's just going to fill the seat for now, and then we're going to figure out who the coach is after that, kind of like the David Culley. And the argument in this lawsuit is, It's far more often than not a black coach that serves this role of bridge coach. We have a short-term coach, and that this guy is going to bridge some predetermined gap, and then we're going to move on from him, and then we're going to go hire somebody else, the guy that we really want to be our coach over the long haul. Now, it's difficult to prove because nobody's ever going to admit it. You prove it by circumstantial evidence, and you prove it by other things, including the fact that Steve Wilkes really was coaching with one arm tied behind his back. He alleges he didn't want Josh Rosen. He wanted the Cardinals who traded up to number 10 to get Rosen to go up even higher to get Josh Allen, which if you've got documentation of that, great. It's easy to say it now. But my guess is there's emails, there's text messages, there's something where Steve Wilkes said back in 2018, hey, Steve Kime, GM of the team, I want Josh Allen. The other side of it, Shereen, Steve Kime was suspended for a large chunk of training camp In 2018, because he had a DUI. And that makes it harder for Steve Wilkes to get the job done. But the interesting side of this, there may be some evidence that Steve Keim really wasn't serving his suspension. It's referred to as a so called suspension in the amended complaint. And I think it's fair for the NFL at some point to investigate whether or not Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, was actually working directly and extensively with Steve Keim to do the work that Kime would have been doing. So that's that's a collateral issue that can cause real problems for the Cardinals depending upon what the NFL does with it.
2: Well Mike, I think the NFL is going to run out of investigators as many thinks as they're investigating. Mary Joe White the can only, only do so much. That's it. That's it. Ma- I Mary, mean-
1: they're going to need a bigger boat, Mary Joe.
2: <laughs> I mean, when you look at, at all the investigations they have going on now, here's another one, Mike, that they're going to have to investigate. They need to investigate their own office because Roger Goodell said you can't investigate yourself. So based on the New York Times recent stories on, on workplace misconduct that has been alleged in the NFL office, they need an investigator for that because you can't investigate yourself. So ton of investigators are needed to figure out everything that's going on within the NFL, within its teams, uh, it, it's just, the NFL is having a, a horrible, no good, very bad day, Mike, and it's turned into a week and a month and a year. And yeah. it's just, as I said yesterday, this just seems like the tip of the iceberg though. It just seems like more and more stuff's going to come out about the NFL, about its teams. And, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to stop. This has started an avalanche with what we're seeing.
1: Mark Cuban said several years ago, pigs get yep. fat and hogs get slaughtered and, he didn't say how the hogs would get slaughtered the the meaning that i took away from it was you can only be so greedy before your customers revolt before something happens in that relationship you know you've you've gone too far you've done too much you've reached too far you've tried to gather too much and you become so big that people become resentful people turn against you and it all falls apart I think that this could be manifesting itself through the idea that they are becoming so big and so powerful and they're potentially abusing the size and the power that they have that others who are charged with protecting the public interest are deciding, hang on now, you're getting a little bit too big for your britches. We're going to have to do something about this. And that's what was so, I think, heartening. And look, I'm not trying to bring down the NFL, but if there's people in there that need to be accountable for not doing true honor and justice to the shield, then they should be held as accountable as they hold the players. And that's what I'm talking about here. The individuals who own teams, run teams, run the league office, have positions of power and influence, and maybe abusing them, they need to be held accountable and, if necessary, replaced with people who will do the job the right way. And these prosecutors aren't messing around. I hadn't read the letter that... Letitia James' office, she's the New York Attorney General, had sent to the league yesterday with five other attorneys general signing off on it. That letter was a hell of a lot powerful than the folks at the New York Times presented it to be in the article that they wrote yesterday. That is a powerful letter. It doesn't say in that letter, we want to see progress or we're going to investigate. It says we are going to use our full powers to investigate and prosecute with no conditions, with no warning shot. That letter says we are coming after you, Big Shield get ready, period. There's not even a very truly yours or have a nice day at the end of the letter. It is as strong of a letter in as compressed of a space. It's barely enough to fill a full page of text. You've got a big letterhead, and then it spills over a couple paragraphs onto the next page. There's a lot there in not much space. They're on notice. This is not a good week. This is not a good day for the NFL. And instead of sitting around saying, woe is me, hopefully the powers that be are committing themselves to change. At least they didn't come out and say the lawsuit's without merit. They said no comment today. The NFL has learned to not respond to today's claims, Shireen, by saying that the claims are without merit.
2: Well, and Mike, I'll go back to what we said about Deshaun Watson, 22 civil lawsuits, 22, not one, not two, 22. This is 30 different former employees and perhaps some current employees but 30 people who worked at the NFL coming out to the New York Times 30 people I'm sorry there is not a conspiracy that takes in 30 people there are problems at that NFL office and and whether they're without merit or not and I know some of the specific allegations in there they said well this didn't happen et etc etc cetera. Et cetera. 30 people allege some of this. You have a problem. Even if you don't think you have a problem with 30 people coming out, Mike, you have a problem.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's separate and apart from what's currently happening as it relates to the litigation. Let's get back to the, uh, the, the Cardinals angle here. Yeah. And again, I, uh, no one's going to come out and say, you got us. You got us. Sorry. Good job. Bullseye. You win. Yeah, th- 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 we're going to do the whole song and dance where there's going to be an effort to force the case in arbitration, because especially in this case, this is a guy who worked for the Cardinals who was suing the Cardinals. So he'll have a clause in his contract that requires him to submit to arbitration. The Titans will try to get Ray Horton's case to arbitration. The NFL wants all these things in arbitration because they want it to play out privately and secretly. So the accountability never happens publicly. So the Cardinals will dispute it and the lawsuit will go forward and it's going to take time. And through it all, it's going to hover over the NFL. And it's not something that I believe they're going to be able to buy off the way they bought off the class action plaintiffs with the, Concussion settlement because that was going to be a multi year litigation mess for everyone involved. And the NFL created a fund to provide some sort of benefits for guys, no questions asked about how they got cognitive impairments. It really ended up being a pretty good deal for players who would have had a tough time proving a lot of the things they would have needed to prove, and including, I got my my cognitive impairment from concussions while playing in the NFL, not lower levels of the sport, or more importantly, if I had known these risks, I wouldn't have played football. Cause I think most guys if testifying truthfully would have, that was an easier one for the NFL to settle early. This one's going to be harder because I don't think you're going to buy off Brian Flores. I don't yeah. think you're going to buy off Steve Wilkes. I don't think you're going to buy off Ray Horton or any of the other guys who get in line and participate in this litigation. This thing is going and The threshold question, Shereen, is can the NFL divert it from the public legal process and get it into private arbitration? And will more people in the media stand up and say that is morally wrong to try to make this a secret process, to try to keep this from the light of day is as bad an outcome as ignoring the problem and refusing to try to fix it?
2: Yeah, Mike, this doesn't sound like it's about money. They they don't want money. You're not going to be able to throw money at them. I mean, a lot of times that's what we see. We see these lawsuits disappear because they throw money at, at them and it goes away. And this doesn't seem like that's what these guys are after. Now, I don't know if you're the NFL, what you can offer to make this go away. Perhaps nothing. Perhaps they want everything to come to light to this play out in the public to say we've got a problem and then it really puts the pressure on the NFL to make changes to do what Pete Carroll said they should do the owners should do that they've got to change their minds and they've got to change their hearts and that's where it starts to get more black head coaches in the NFL is from ownership that's where it has to start Mike not at any other level
1: I'll go back and say what I said back in February when this all got started. They had to change the way these ownership groups are structured. They should all be corporations publicly owned with a board of directors made up of a diverse and inclusive cross-section of the community that is served by that team, that that team represents. And with officers and human resources committees and checks and balances and accountability for the CEO, there's no accountability for the owner of a team yeah. other than his or her partners. And we've seen how much accountability the partners are willing to impose upon their peers because they don't want that standard to eventually be applied to them. I know corporations aren't perfect. I know that corporations are capable of wrongdoing, that CEOs will overreach and have a board of directors that is is in the CEO's back pocket, and it is harder to hold a CEO accountable than I'm making it out to be. But it's easier to hold a CEO accountable than it is an oligarch, and that's what we have. And I know that term— is a little more delicate given what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now. But that's what these folks are. They are American oligarchs. They are powerful. They are rich. They are used to getting their way. They don't like being told what to do. They will sometimes do the opposite of what they think someone wants them to do just to prove a point. That's what we're up against as we try to make real progress here. These people are so disconnected from reality. They have so much money. They are so surrounded by yes men and yes women who tell them what they want to hear, who will not press them because if you press them, then you are out of a job. That's how it works. How do you ever get those folks to change their minds and change their hearts? How do you ever make it happen? You don't. It doesn't don't. happen, Shereen.
2: Yeah. No, it doesn't, Mike. And and that is the problem. And it, it's a great solution that you provide because... I don't know where this goes, and I don't know what happens, but I do see significant change coming to the NFL one way or the other. They're going to have to step up to Brian Ford's lawsuit. They're going to have to answer, and they're going to have to answer internally some very tough questions about how they can fix this moving forward. This is about the past, but it's also about the future and changing things and changing the way they do things, Mike.
1: I don't have a whole lot of faith that under the current leadership under the and when i say leadership i mean the cabal of owners who are in charge of the league with roger goodell serving as their mouthpiece and pin cushion because i don't think he runs the nfl his name may be on the football i don't think he runs the nfl i think he runs the nfl at the behest of a small handful of owners who run the nfl but until that changes this stuff's still going to happen because you know why no matter how bad it gets Step right up. We got bright, shiny objects. We got the draft coming up three weeks from tonight. You don't like the draft? Well, we got some football games coming up eventually. You know, enjoy your summer break with your family. And then we'll be back with the Hall of Fame game in early August. And then we got nationally televised preseason games. And then we got 270 what is it now? 272 regular season games. And it's one after another. It's better for the NFL to have this stuff going on during football season because there's a constant stream of distractions Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday. Monday, Thursday, Sunday, and then you get some Saturday, and then you get the playoffs, and it's the ultimate way to get people to not pay attention to the warts on the underbelly of the league. This is the worst time of year for this stuff to happen because they don't have the distractions built in. But even then, they still have the distractions. That's the disconnect. As bad as it gets from the standpoint of things happening that should not be happening, the fans can compartmentalize that. The fans can say, you know, this really is wrong, but I just want my football. Oh, it's a shame that they did these folks the way they did, and, you know, they'll get their day in court, but I want my football. And as long as you have the fans saying, I want my football, the reckoning's never going to come from the fans. To get back to the original point, the reckoning is going to come from prosecutors, legislators, folks who have real power in government that can hold these folks accountable if they ever manage to pull it off.
2: And it's not going to come from the players either, Mike. I mean, the players are going to go where they're paid the most money. I mean, that's facts are facts, right? So it does have to come from from outside the NFL, from, from higher up, from people who can hold them accountable and don't get distracted by the football, Mike. That's exactly right. And if Brian Flores hadn't filed this lawsuit... We'd be where we've been for the last 100 years uh, in this process, and, and fortunately he did, and maybe, hopefully, things will change uh, based on his lawsuit. We'll see what happens. Uh, one
1: other angle to touch on before we take our first break. Brian Flores has expanded his claims against the Miami Dolphins. Now, in the first edition of the complaint that he filed, he makes reference to His allegation that owner Stephen Ross was unhappy that the team was winning games in 2019. There was a full season tank that Ross wanted to engage in. And at some point, Ross offered Brian Flores $100,000 for each game that he lost that year. And Flores objected to that. And that's one of the reasons why he fell out of favor with Stephen Ross. Now in the amended complaint, there is a specific claim that Flores was a whistleblower and he has protections as a whistleblower because he raised internally his concerns about the pressure that was being placed upon him to lose because that amounts to a violation of the Sports Betting Act, which basically says you can't try to get people to deliberately lose sporting events. It's the the effort to ensure that there's integrity of the wagering that is done on boxing matches, football games, baseball games, basketball, any type of sporting event. So as part of his effort to claim that His firing occurred in retaliation for his stance as a whistleblower. He points out that he prepared a memo in December of 2019 and gave it to people within the organization like GM Chris Greer and team president Tom Garfinkel, documenting his concerns about being pressured by Stephen Ross to lose games. That's significant. And the Dolphins have privately acknowledged that, and this, this is according to someone who's involved in the investigation that's been happening, that they did send that memo to the league several weeks ago. And I think that the dolphins may not be interpreting this the way that they could or should look, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but it's one thing for Brian Flores to claim that he had a conversation or heard directly from Stephen Ross that he wanted him to lose games and he offered him $100,000. It's another thing for Brian Flores to document it because it's the documentation of it, even if it's not sent to Stephen Ross. Documenting it, sending it to members of management, that puts you on record. You are on record at that point as having an issue with this. You have blown the whistle internally. That's what gives you the protection under the law against retaliation And his argument is, and this is where the average person gets confused. Are you saying you got fired because of your race? Did you get fired because of retaliation because you were a whistleblower? Well, you're allowed to go in and say it's both. It's either I don't know. All I know is I shouldn't have been fired. It's for a jury to decide whether it was some of both, one or the other, both completely or neither. But you're allowed to have alternative theories that you you argue in an effort to get to the bottom of something that you think was ultimately wrong. Brian Flores believes he shouldn't have been fired by the Miami Dolphins, and there was something that they had against him that they shouldn't have had against him when they decided to fire him.
2: All right, Mike, I have a question here. So the Dolphins say that they sent this to the NFL weeks ago. Wouldn't they have been required by the NFL to give it to the NFL at the time it was filed in December of 2019? Wouldn't they have been required to to do that and the NFL then start an investigation?
1: Hey, that is one of the major batches of questions I have about this. What did the Dolphins do when they got it? Did they investigate right. themselves? Did they tell the league? Did the league investigate? Did anyone come to Brian Flores and talk to him about it what, did or did they was it just like you know that that family secret nobody ever discusses you know oh yeah. what, what are you talking about what flick flick who I mean you know so i don't know and nobody knows other than Brian Flores and some key employees with the Miami Dolphins what happened after he sent that memo but that memo was a pretty big deal. And, yeah. uh, you know, you look, he still was employed as head coach of the team for two more years. Um, so I don't know what it was that was the final straw, what it was that made Stephen Ross decide to engage in this action. And, and that's part of what the litigation process will get to the bottom of. You put Stephen Ross under oath. You require him to answer repeated questions possibly aggressive about why he did what he did and how he came to his conclusion it's not just steven ross it's others in the organization who are in a position to know what happened and you weave together this is how it works i did this for 18 years because nobody's ever going to get on the witness stand and say i did it nobody's ever going to say we fired this guy because he pissed us off because not only did he refuse to lose games he created this memo that just was a big, ugly mess for us. And that's just not the way we do things. And we don't look kindly on guys who don't get it, who don't know how to play ball. And, you know, they're never going to admit to that. And if there is some sort of baked in racial bias when it comes to white owners preferring white coaches, that's not going to come out either. You're not going to admit it. You show by basically dismantling one excuse at a time, one reason at a time, the stated justification for firing someone, then it's bullcrap. And when you show that every reason that has been provided is not truthful, is not plausible, does not make sense, that's when you're left to argue to a jury, and hopefully the jury accepts your argument, that there must have been some improper motive that caused this outcome, a motive they're never going to admit to. But we've shown that the justifications they are trying to sell to you are not believable which means they're hiding something else, maybe something they won't even admit to themselves, Shereen.
2: Boy, this just really looks bad for Stephen Ross, Mike. And, and I'm going to be surprised. Of course, I was surprised that or am surprised that Dan Snyder still has a job. I'm going to be more surprised if Stephen Ross still has his team uh, when all this ends. Both of those guys should be out of the NFL. And that, I mean, I, I don't know what else you say to that. Both those guys should Here's be removed from the NFL. I Here's know. the problem as it relates to Ross.
1: But but because, because the league's motivation at this point is to circle the wagons to fight back against Brian yeah. Flores. The league is not going to find that Stephen no Ross question. deliberately tried to lose games, offered and wasn't joking $100,000 per loss. Because I've kind of heard, I haven't gotten this with any clarity, but I've gotten the sense that his defense will be, I was joking. Now, without the Brian Flores lawsuit, I think Roger Goodell possibly says to Stephen Ross, baloney. With the Brian Flores lawsuit, Roger Goodell says Mm -hmm. to everyone, Stephen Ross was joking because it's in the NFL's interest to circle the wagons and defend Stephen Ross. And I saw that all the time. There would be a manager who was the problem, who was the person who committed the violations of the law that resulted in someone being fired from their job in violation of whatever it is, Human Rights Act, whatever it may be. The company has no choice but to rally around that person until the lawsuit's over. Then when the lawsuit's over, we'll deal with this person. But while the lawsuit's pending, we can't throw this guy under the bus. We can't, we can't say that this guy did what he's accused of doing because we got this bigger fish to fry. That's what, that's what will save Stephen Ross, at least until the Brian Flores lawsuit is over. Let's take a break. When we return, Brian Flores has another team that he's added. And a lot of people are going to be confused about this argument. We're going to set the record straight and make sure everyone understands why the Houston Texans are a defendant when PFTPM continues right after
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: All right, Brian Flores has added the Houston Texans as a defendant to the lawsuit. His argument is that the Texans did not hire him in retaliation for the lawsuit that he filed on February 1. One of the reactions I have heard to this approach, because we reported during the Super Bowl pregame show, that Flores would be taking this step when he does file an amended complaint, and he did, adds the Houston Texans, arguing that Lovey Smith was hired and not Brian Flores in retaliation for the race discrimination lawsuit that Brian Flores filed. People say, but they hired a black head coach. So, what's your beef? What's your issue? This isn't about a race discrimination claim. This is about Brian Flores believing he would have been slash should have been hired for the job if he hadn't filed his lawsuit, and that it's the filing of the lawsuit that made him a pariah in the eyes of the Houston Texans and a guy that they didn't want to make their head coach. A guy who is suing the NFL, the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, and the Miami Dolphins and is not going to drop the lawsuit should not be a head coach of an NFL team. That's the attitude that Flores will argue that the Texans had. And here's an example of what I was talking about earlier, Shereen, and everyone else as it relates to proving things... Not by getting someone to have a Jack Nicholson moment in A Few Good Men where he said, like, you goddamn right I did. That doesn't happen. Here's what you prove. Hey, look. Look at this. We had three finalists for this job. Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, and Josh McCown. Gannon, a couple of days after that, is no longer in consideration. Comes down to Flores and Josh McCown. Then out of the blue, out of nowhere, comes Lovey Smith as a candidate and within days after that, the head coach. Why? Why? Because there's no way in hell they were going to hire Brian Flores, and there's no way in hell they could have hired Josh McCown after the Brian Flores lawsuit was filed. I think that if the Brian, lawsuit, Brian Flores lawsuit's never filed, they go ahead and hire Josh McCown. I really do think that. I think Brian Flores wasn't getting hired by the Texans either way. But without that lawsuit, they hire McCown. With the lawsuit, they hire Lovey Smith to make it look not so conspicuous. And I think, frankly, if the Texans knew at the end of the season what they know now, the Texans just would have kept David Culley, yep. Shereen.
2: Yeah, no question. I agree with you completely on all of that, Mike. And do you think that the timing of the Brian Flores lawsuit had to do with him knowing that they are feeling they were going to hire Josh McCowan and at that point saying, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to file this lawsuit now. Did the timing relate to that, do you think? Um,
1: I If I was Brian Flores, I would have waited. I would have waited for the Texans hired- to hire Josh McCown. Now, now, this is where it gets interesting. And I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to this. I know, get ready, Buccaneers fans and Dolphins fans. I know (laughs) Uh that the Brian Flores lawsuit pulled the plug on the Tom Brady, Sean Payton package deal to Miami. And folks, that was happening. I'm telling you, I would bet everything I own on the fact that that was happening and that the Brian Flores lawsuit caused it to not happen. So, so did Brian Flores file his lawsuit when he did to keep? Tom Brady and Sean Payton from becoming the coach of the Dolphins. Was there a certain element of mischief making here? Was there a certain element of, I'll show you Stephen Ross, who always gets what he wants. You got what you wanted by firing me, but you ain't getting what you wanted with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. I'm going to keep that from happening because I'm not going to wait to sue you, even though it's possibly in my best interest to let this hiring cycle play out. I remember at the time he filed the lawsuit. My first thought was, why now? Why not let the hiring cycle play out? But you know what? I suspect Brian Flores knew what was going to happen. Tom Brady's going to retire. Tom Brady's going to end up becoming a minority owner of the Dolphins during Super Bowl week. That's what I firmly believe was going to happen. Sean Payton becomes the head coach within a couple of weeks after that, and then Tom Brady unretires and comes back to play for the Dolphins at some point during the spring. So by filing the lawsuit the same day, that Tom Brady retired the same day. They had that thing locked and loaded and ready to go. Tom Brady retires, press the button, and there it all falls apart the same day. It's either coincidence or it's not. And I'm not saying that... that, Because, again, you're giving up a strategic edge because it would have been better off to wait for the Texans to make their hire, for everybody else to make their hire. It would have been better to wait. And he claims it was what he had heard a few days earlier about the whole Brian Dayball and the text he got from Bill Belichick. And maybe it is a coincidence. Maybe it was the Giants thing that pushed him over the edge. But I still think it would have been strategically wise to wait. Go ahead and let them hire Josh McCown. Go ahead and let them do it because it makes it even more glaring then from a racial standpoint when they don't hire brian flores or even consider lovey smith
2: mike there are no coincidences that's what i firmly believe and i firmly believe that the timing was by design and he affected the head coaching hires at two different places at miami and at houston because of his lawsuit
1: yeah uh you're absolutely right about about that um and uh, I've heard some other things along those lines. That basically, for the jobs that were still open, there may have been an effort by the league to, you know, push things a certain way to make things look better. Because the league, even though it initially said this lawsuit is without merit, the league knew that there was there was plenty of merit, and there is plenty of merit. And look, I I don't know what's ultimately going to be introduced. I don't know what the evidence will be. I don't know what a judge or a jury will do with this, but I just want the truth to come out. And I want it to come out in a public forum, in a federal courtroom, with the media there to hear the evidence, see the documents, understand the arguments, have it all happen in the open, not in some quiet conference room where the commissioner or someone the commissioner handpicks to handle the matter is making the decisions. That's not good for anyone. It's good for the league. It's good for the teams. It's not good for the truth. It's not good for progress. And it's not good for those of us who believe that wrongdoers should be held accountable. And I don't know that there's any wrongdoers here. Let's see. Let's let it play out. Let's find out. If you're not not worried about what a neutral body— I mean, look at it that way. They're so concerned. They want to stack the deck. They want to have a rigged system, a kangaroo court, that allows them to decide— What's right and what's wrong? Who's right and who's wrong? Who's guilty and who's not guilty? They want to decide it in part because they, they don't want someone who is in a position to exercise true independence, to be deciding whether or not the NFL was in the wrong. That tells you something right there. The fact that the NFL is so obsessed, exactly. not just with arbitration, but with arbitration presided over by the commissioner who was bought and paid for by the owners. That should tell you that they want to brush this under the rug, and they know that what they're brushing under the rug is dirt. I don't know what else you would brush under the rug, but you get my point. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Let's take a break. Yeah. When we return, more news from around the NFL on this Thursday edition of PFTPM. We'll be right back.
2: When I first got traded to Buffalo, besides the mafia and the people who are fans of Buffalo,
1: not too many people thought it was gonna work out. A lot of people were like this, well
3: the bills da 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 da
1: and uh two years from now, now I, now I can I can smile and say, you know, God works in mysterious ways and I'm I'm with my family, I'm with the right people and I got I got the right support system. Technical difficulties prevented Shereen Williams and I from hearing that. We hope you got to hear Stephon Diggs. He said people thought it wouldn't work for him in Buffalo, and it is. Well, they finally paid him. If they hadn't paid him, it wouldn't have worked. And I made the point a few weeks ago with all of these other receivers getting paid, you better take care of Stephon Diggs. You traded for him with multiple years left on his contract, four years left on his deal. The market has changed. He was averaging $14 million and change per year. You better take care of him, and they wisely did. Because when Stephon Diggs decides he's done, he's done. You don't want to test Stephon Diggs that way. The Vikings pissed him off. He tweeted his way out of town. The Bills had a choice to make. They made the right choice to keep Stephon Diggs happy.
2: Boy, they sure did, Mike. When you look at how productive he's been with Josh Allen over the last two years, 230 receptions, 2760 yards, 18 touchdowns. I mean, he's been one of the best receivers in the league, made the all-pro team two years ago. Just extremely productive for them. Again, one of the biggest win-win trades in NFL history I can remember with the Vikings ended up with Justin Jefferson and the Bills getting Stephon Diggs, but they did have to pay him after giving up so much compensation for him and how productive he's been. He's earned that contract, good for him, and the Bills have him now tied up for a long time.
1: Yeah, I think it works out very well for both sides, and we're still waiting for the full details on that contract. It was officially announced today. We'll get into the, the details, yeah. the nuts and bolts, as to what the deal really is worth. Uh, Debo Samuel one of the other he's the guy that gets forgotten so much talk about dk metcalf aj brown teammates at mississippi trade talk chatter possibility as it relates to metcalf the titans reportedly aren't willing to consider any offers for aj brown but again if somebody makes them an offer they can't refuse maybe they won't refuse it no talk about debo getting a deal and you know what when you're squatting on 25 million dollars in cash and cap space for a quarterback that you don't want on the team, that's money that could be going to Debo Samuel. And he made news today by unfollowing the 49ers on Instagram, changing his profile picture. He pulled the Kyler Murray on the 49ers. Where'd everything go? There's no sign, no evidence of the 49ers. And look, this is how kids that age send messages. Yeah. This is how they make their their happiness or lack thereof known. And Debo Samuel has to be thinking, what do I have to do to get a contract that I deserve? What do I have to do? Look at what Devontae Adams got. Look at what Tyreek Hill got. Look at what they have me do. Look at how important I am to this team. And if Trey Lance is going to have any chance next year, they need Debo Samuel to go out there and play the way that he has. And I say all the time, get paid while you can. And at the receiver position, when you have a guy that plays the way Debo Samuel does, like a half running back, half receiver. All the more reason to get paid while you can because the tread's going to come off your tires faster than it will for Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and Tyreek Hill.
2: Boy, and he tweeted right after Stefan Diggs' deal was reported. He tweeted, so he knows what those deals are. He knows what he wants. He knows those receiver salaries have gone up and up and up this offseason. So... He's ready. He's ready for his deal. John Lynch said last week, by the way, Mike, that, that they intend to get a deal done with Debo Samuel. I'm sure they'll Uh-oh. work this don't out. Use that Just, don't,
3: don't use I that intend. word. Don't use yeah, that word. Yeah,
2: that's a Seahawks word. That's a Seahawks <laughs> word. <laughs> but I think the 49ers get a deal done with Debo Samuel. They work something out. They have to have him. Just like we are talking about the Bills have to have Stefan Diggs. The 49ers need Debo Samuel, Mike.
1: They they need the Jimmy Garoppolo twenty five million for Debo they and do. Nick Bosa. They got they two do. guys they better take care of. Nick Bosa's gonna want thirty million a year. Debo's gonna want twenty seven, twenty-eight million a year. That twenty-five million that you yeah. are squatting on because of pride, because of ego, because of stubbornness, unless they think Trey Lance can't get it done, then it's maybe not all that bad of an idea. <laughs> but if this is we don't want to admit that we blew our window to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. We're trying to play a game here. Maybe somebody's going to have a Teddy Bridgewater injury. We're going to slow play this. Hey, maybe maybe we can do the Joe Montana, Steve Young, all that crap that we've heard. If this is some sort of a game they're playing, they're going to potentially outsmart themselves because they're going to alienate key players that they could be compensating with that money that's otherwise reserved for Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Another guy who is looking for a contract, although he's not currently with the team. Where is Tyron Matthew going to land, and why is it taking so long? We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. Tyron Matthew, one of the biggest names still on the free agency market after completing his three-year contract with the Chiefs. They clearly have moved on based upon the transactions in which they have engaged. Recently, Tyron Matthew visited with the New Orleans Saints. Now a virtual visit with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles reportedly have emerged as a prime landing spot for the veteran defensive back. Look, I think this comes down to Matthew maybe wanting more than what teams will budget for him, given where he is from an overall skill and health standpoint. I love the guy. I'd want him on my team, but I think part of it is, you got to let him come to terms with the fact that the big money isn't going to be there. And then so you ask yourself, all right, what's the best I can get? What opportunities do I have? How do I fit with that team? How do I fit with that locker room? So he's got the luxury of time now, and he may as well take his time to find the best possible fit for him as he tries to get another Super Bowl ring, Shereen.
2: Yeah, it's kind of weird. He hasn't drawn more interest and it must be about the money, Mike, because he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. I mean, he's proved that over the last few years and and here he sits and the Saints visit. Yes, he visited the Saints, but he was in in New Orleans where he's from visiting family and friends and he had an engagement at LSU and some other things he was doing there. So he just kind of fit the visit around that. I'm not sure how interested they are, especially with all the moves they've already made at safety. So maybe maybe not on the saints and then this is a virtual visit so this is kind of weird too but he said in his comments while he was visiting the saints he told the media there that he wanted to play for a championship team to me the eagles aren't the championship team that you're looking for if you're looking for a championship team you're going to end up in tampa although they're loaded at the safety position or the Rams, or somewhere else, but, but not Philadelphia. I mean, there's a handful of teams, Mike, where you can go and win a championship. He's looking for a championship. I'm not sure New Orleans or Philadelphia, either one fits that.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the Rams, because they are the team that we always have to keep in mind. When yeah. there's a big-name player who is just lingering and languishing and loitering on the market, the Rams will swoop in. The Rams will make a move. The Rams will get a deal and will say we should have seen that coming all along, especially if OBJ goes back there, get Tyron Matthew and OBJ on the same team. And it's just that collection of stars, the sizzle and the substance that the Rams would have wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up playing for the L.A. Rams by the time it's all said and done. And they're just waiting for the right time to make their move.
2: Well, and he has such leadership skills, Mike. That's been shown all pro uh, two years ago and three years ago. So he's playing at a high level still. I don't know why you wouldn't want him on your team if you can afford him.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the key. Can you make it work under the salary cap? They made it work with Bobby Wagner. They could make it work with Tyron Matthew. They'll probably make it work with Odo Beckham Jr. unless somebody else swoops in. But to the extent that others are slow playing, guys like OBJ and Tyron Matthew. That does open the door for the Rams, and if it happens, we won't be surprised. We're never surprised when the Rams make a move. All right, I'm never surprised to see how quickly the hour went by. We are done for today's edition of PFTPM. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll have more stories on the Brian Flores litigation at PFT tonight. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?